And so I often will say like, good morning class, and I'll get good morning, and I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> Let's try again. So that's what that just reminded me of a little bit. So good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, please stand and hear our call to worship this morning. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Please join me in responding. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Please join us in singing Rejoice in All Your Works. Every mouth that cries for food, every Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. This is the account of Jesus calling Peter to, his, to be his disciple. Hear God's word to us. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats 
<clears throat> left were by fishermen who were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little, a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up onto shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the presence of our Lord, we are made aware of just how sinful we are. And we pray to God, Rock of Ages, let us hide ourselves in you. Please stand and join us in singing. going to hide ourselves in our Lord. Join me in our prayer of confession. Holy Father, we are so like Peter. We can go about our days not really acknowledging you walking alongside us. Or we know you are with us, but we think the empty nets are too much for you. We listen to your teaching, and we even support your kingdom work by letting down the nets. But honestly, we don't think anything will come of it 
because we still think too little of you. And then, and then you fill the nets. And Lord, we see you. We get just a little glimpse of your power and your glory and your holiness. And we respond. We can't help but respond like Peter and say, go away. We're sinful. Or like the prophet Isaiah say, I'm ruined because I'm unclean. We see our sin, Lord. And then in that same moment, we see you. And it's in that moment, Lord, that you say, don't be afraid. And you show us how much you love us. You show us how amazing your grace is. You touch our lips. You touch our lives. You take our guilt away through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are grateful. And help us in our gratitude to answer your call and run the race that you have put before us by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the grace of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, People of God, redeemed by him, for him. Please stand. Please stand in the full assurance of pardon through through Jesus our Lord. And you will have an opportunity to respond. And it's up on the screen. Our assurance comes from Isaiah chapter 6. The seraph touched my mouth with the live coal and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. Amen. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Here we are. Send us. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy. Jesus. 
بپذیرید Join me now in prayers of the people. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for this day, this time of coming together as a congregation, Lord, as a church family. Lord, we just praise and thank you for God's promises and faithfulness to us. Lord, we, we thank you that God has given us <clears throat> a new birth into a living hope, Lord. Lord, at this time, we just pray for our country and the leaders. May we be agents of God's mercy, peace, and love in the midst of so much conflict. Lord, we pray for Kathy, Paul, Michael, Gil, and Marianne as they continue to grieve for the loss of Sal Salas, Lord. Lord, we pray for Ron and Lexi Lambert as they continue to grieve the loss of Jackie Lambert, mother and grandmother, Lord. We lift up Lynette Williams' sister, Verdine, who is recovering from a fractured pelvis. The fact that she's isolated at home, very lonely due to the isolation required from COVID. Lord, we just want to thank you for Nate and Ashley Abbott as they've settled into their new home in Aurora. As we also pray for Brenda Hansen, Ron and Shelby's daughter, who is struggling with lingering COVID symptoms. We just pray you bring her complete healing of her body from the symptoms of COVID that she's able to continue on, Lord. Lord, we, we also just thank and praise your name for the administration of the COVID vaccine within our community. Lord, just give them the strength they need, the discernment to know and to minister this as effectively as it can be, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, we also thank you for that our that the fact that our students and our teachers are going back to school, that, that the numbers are decreasing in a way that's allowing things to open up as they are, Lord. We, we also pray a special prayer for Bruce and Beth Van Wyck this day as they grieve the passing of their daughter-in-law. Lord, just strengthen and comfort their son and his, and his family, Lord, at this time. Lord, we also pray and lift up Terry and Kay Craft for the passing of her brother Rick this, this last week, as well as we pray for the elders and the leadership of our church, Lord, as, as we continue to pursue God's guidance during this time of transition, Lord. Just give us the sensitivity of, of what our church body needs at this time, Lord, so we are the leadership that truly glorifies your name and builds the kingdom as you would have it built, Lord. We, we also thank you and praise you that in the midst of troubles, God has granted us grace and peace and abundance, Lord. We ask you to be with us this coming week, uh, just that we are then in impact on the community during this time of COVID and that we truly are instrumental in building your kingdom, Lord. Again, we thank you in your name. Amen. Good morning. In this world, we will have trouble. Jesus said that, right? He listened to Dave's prayer, and a lot of trouble out there. And we are facing it, but we can take comfort because Christ is with us. Well, this week we, we witnessed some trouble at our nation's capital, didn't we? Violence, chaos, um, and all summer long, we witnessed similar episodes of political violence and chaos. Um, sometimes it descended into arson and rioting. But we're not alone in the United States in seeing that, are we? If we look at it across the world, there are bloody conflicts all over the world. Wars ra- waged 
all over the globe and throughout human history, all in the service of building some sort of earthly kingdom, of building some sort of, of achieving some vision of what is desirable, even what is a paradise. Deep in the human heart, there is a yearning for a just and a good and a prosperous society or homeland or city or nation, right? We all somehow deep inside of us want that utopia. And in our Western world, that has has taken shape as a um, secular distortion, I would say, of the coming city of God. That's described in Revelation 20, actually 21 and 22. And if you don't read Revelation 21 and 22, I urge you to read it from time to time. It is your destiny if you are a follower of Christ. Um, Revelation 22.5 says that, and we will reign with him forever and ever. That is your destiny as a Christian. But you need to read chapter 21 and 22 to understand it. It is now widely believed in our, in our world that liberation and peace and human flourishing and prosperity will come through achieving a, a political vision. It'll all be unleashed if we get the right people in the right places of power. The problem is we're about evenly divided on which people and which power will deliver that, right? Well, today we're going to embark on a new series of messages on this first letter of Peter. And we will see that Peter is very much aware of the deep human yearning for a good place, for a good and prosperous homeland. And also, he's aware of the displacement that Christians may feel or often feel in their own homelands. Most of this letter will be devoted to establishing the basis for a new way of life among followers of Jesus. These people who were once not a people, not the people of God, but who have now become followers of the way of Jesus, who are grafted into the people of God. So I want to say a few words first about this book by way of introduction. The author is Peter, Peter the Apostle, the disciple of Christ. Uh, That's widely accepted by scholars and historians, I would say. The location is Rome, probably in about A.D. 64, the reign of uh, the emperor Nero in Rome. And Peter will uh, soon be martyred in Rome within a few years of writing this. The the recipients are the Christian churches of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So you'll hear about the provinces in the, in the text. And it's a group of provinces in the inland and uh, northern regions of Turkey extending all the way down through uh, the bulk of what we call Asia Minor. While there may have been ethnic Jews in these congregations, it's likely that most of his audience is converted from the Gentile world. He uses phrases such as the empty way of life handed down from your forefathers, which he would have been unlikely to use to Jews. He also references their former pagan lifestyle and idolatry. Again, something that would be unlikely to apply to Jews alone. So it's a Gentile audience largely, or a mixed audience. And I must say also, before I go on, that I've benefited immensely from a commentary by a fellow named Edmund Clowney. Uh, And I hope that you likewise benefit from that. So, we begin. Peter opens with a greeting in which he says very little about himself and very much about his audience, his readers and hearers. And you have to remember that Peter is writing to a group of people who are thought to be largely illiterate, right? The literacy rate is not what it is today. So these people would have heard this letter read over and over. Many of them would not have read it themselves. So listen now, as they would have, to the Word of God. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle... To God's elect, 
strangers in the world are exiles, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is the word of the Lord. So Peter greets these people as the true and chosen people of God. Now, that's a little bit strange for Peter. Peter, the lifelong Jew, devoted Jew, calls these Gentile believers, or this mixed group of Jew and Gentile, the chosen ones of God the Father. For over a thousand years, to Peter's knowledge, Israel has been the chosen people. But Peter leaves no doubt that these Gentile followers of Christ belong fully within the family of God. They are no afterthought or adjustment to God's plan. They are elect, chosen by God the Father, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They are objects of God's loving attention from the beginning of time. They are known and loved by God from all eternity. And God's choosing also means that he will act to bring these Gentiles fully into his family. So when God called Israel to be his people, he set them apart from the nations. He made a covenant with them. He gave them a means for cleansing them from sin. And he will do no less for these Gentiles. I want you to see the flow of God's action, right, in these passages. It's from the foreknowledge through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obedience and sprinkling by his blood. It's a beautiful image of God's Trinitarian nature and the work of this community of God. The three persons of the Trinity working seamlessly together to form and deliver a people of their own. So this initial cleansing of God's people of his chosen people, includes the sanctifying work of the Spirit, which especially in this reference probably means something about the initial cleansing symbolized in baptism, and then the sprinkling with the blood of Christ, which recalls another sprinkling with blood. That's in Exodus chapter 24. Led by Moses out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, Israel came to Mount Sinai, where the covenant between God and his chosen people was confirmed. Moses and the elders went up to worship the Lord at the mountain, and then Moses went and told the people all of the Lord's words and laws. And reading from verse 24, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed across the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, and he read it aloud to the people, and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And then Moses took the blood, and he sprinkled it on the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words. At Sinai, the sprinkling of blood established God's covenant with Israel as his chosen people. And now Peter shows how the Gentiles become obedient to Jesus through the blood of the new covenant. That sprinkling of blood assures us of his favor because it pays the penalty of sin, and it also marks us as God's own. Verse 18 says, verse 18 of chapter 1, says that we were bought not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We were bought. Today, as we celebrate communion together, we will identify ourselves with him again 
We'll identify ourselves as his own again by that blood. And I remind you that God is choosing or calling not individuals, not a large number of individuals. He's calling a people. He is calling and sanctifying for himself a people. And you, if you are called to be part of that people, are part of something much bigger than yourself. Much bigger than your individual experience with God. So people of New Life Church, this morning I want to remind you, I want you to know that we too are chosen by God. We too, if we love God, can say with certainty that God loved us first according to his foreknowledge. We too have become his people through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. Peter's audience heard another unusual claim as he addressed them. First he calls them the chosen, the elect. Then he calls them strangers in the world or exiles or exiles of the dispersion or diaspora as other translations have it. And that's kind of weird, right? Because that might apply to Jewish believers who... uh, who had been scattered in deportations under the Assyrian or the Babylonian captivity. But the settled resident Gentiles of Asia Minor, you know, were they strangers in the world? Well, Peter says they are. The question is why? I think that the answer to that question is a key to understanding the purpose and meaning of this letter to the original audience and for us. So to help us with that, I want to take us back to Hebrews 11, where we spent some time in Advent. And I'm going to read Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Paul in Philippians 3.20 also says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So I'm suggesting now that just as Paul does with the Philippians, Peter, in his opening words to the elect in Asia Minor, reframes all of reality around Jesus Christ. The first and the deepest connection that we have and that everyone has is their connection to Christ, whether, wherever they live on earth. They live as an exile or a stranger because our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, they belong elsewhere primarily, and they are on a journey to that homeland. And their living hope, to which Peter refers to in verses 3 through 5, is connected to this inheritance kept in heaven for them, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. Their hope is anchored in their homeland, their true homeland. Now, this was always true of God's people, Israel, that they were on a journey to a different homeland. Because Abraham was called out of Ur to go on a journey to a new homeland. And Jacob and his sons journeyed throughout Canaan and to Egypt. And Israel journeyed through the wilderness to the promised land. And God made them his people on that journey. And later Israel suffered exile and deportation and lived as strangers in the world, longing for their homeland. And you'll see as we read and teach through this letter that Peter does not call Christians to abandon the world or to detach from it. 
but to rightly order our allegiance to it, to rightly order our obedience. He is much more concerned that our witness to the world brings glory to God. Chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And again, Peter writes not to individuals, but to the church in each city, urging them to live in such a way that they will be seen as the true people of God. Their lives together should be marked by such holiness and distinction that that God will be glorified among those who do not yet know him. He commands them to reject conformity to the world, but still to accept responsibility for living well as witnesses to the truth of Christ. So we see here that at the very beginning of the letter, Peter immediately establishes two pillars of truth about the churches in Asia Minor in AD 64 and about New Life Church today, I'd say, that he's going to build much of the rest of this letter on. That we, number one, that we who belong to Christ are the chosen, beloved people of God. That the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have called us as a people to a new way of life, marked by obedience and sprinkling by his blood. And two, that this Christ-following way of life is lived out together as a people on a journey who haven't quite found their home yet. We're waiting to find our true home because our citizenship is in the heavenly city. How life-giving can that be today for us? We don't have to get caught up in the panic and the chaos of the world around us in the same way that others who don't have a heavenly city to look forward to must see it. If we as Christians are on a journey toward a heavenly city, we have to also recognize that all the unbelieving world is wandering too. They're searching for some sort of earthly paradise but even if not paradise, some sort of earthly relief. We have the sure hope of Christ. They have the empty hope of political power or perhaps of sensual experience or self-gratification or nihilism. They long for a utopia in which they can satisfy their desires because it's deeply built into the human soul. We wait confidently and patiently for a heavenly city in which God will first make all things right and then he will satisfy all our desires. Since Abraham's calling, God's people have always been strangers in the world. We have always been a people on a journey. And the way was not always clear. But we know the way now. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Let's go confidently to the Father in prayer together now. Oh, Father, we come to you because you are our only hope. And we rest and rejoice that you, according to your good pleasure, have chosen a people for yourself and have included us. Lord, with gratitude, for the Spirit's work. We look forward to obedience, to a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Because there is no life apart from life with you. Oh God, may the words of Peter be seared into our hearts and our minds.
May we know your loving care for us and trust you as we walk this journey together. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for communion, please stand and join us in singing Trinity song. God now invites us to this table. He extends his peace so that we may be bound together in his holy love. As we prepare to receive the communion of our Lord Jesus, hear the words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 explaining the significance of the blood and the body, the bread, and the juice. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you... Eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. Pray with me now, please. With joy we praise you, gracious God, for you created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us, even when we fell into sin. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who by his life, death, and resurrection opened the way for us to find eternal life. Therefore, we proclaim our faith signed and sealed in this sacrament. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Join me in this proclamation of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Thanks be to God. Christ makes us one. The peace of Christ be with you all. This bread we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And this cup for which we give thanks 
is a sharing in the blood of Christ. People of God at New Life Church, the Lord has prepared this table for all who love him and trust in him, who trust in him alone for their salvation, all who are truly sorry for their sins and who believe sincerely in the Lord Jesus as their Savior and desire to live in obedience to him as Lord. All who have that are welcome at this table. Come now with gladness to the table of the Lord. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take now the bread. This is the body of Christ given for you. And the juice, the blood of Christ shed for you. Loving God, we thank you that you feed our souls in this sacrament, that you give us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that we will experience in your eternal kingdom when we reach the homeland. Send us out today in the power of your spirit to live and work for your glory and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we get ready to sing our last song, I'd like to um, read a section of this, Great is Thy Faithfulness, but read it as a poem. Hear these words. God, you change not. Your compassions, they do not fail. As you have been, you forever will be. Pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Your own dear presence to bring cheer and to guide. Strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. For great, O oh God, is your faithfulness to us. Please stand and join us in singing.
So we, uh, we're going to go to the family time. You can actually, no, stay, stay seated and standing for a minute. I'm just going to do the blessing, and then we're going to do the family time. Uh, I think it's going to be easier that way, because we're going to turn the streaming off for a minute. So this is the blessing that Moses gave to the people of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.